This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living. I'm T. Shaoik. A very happy new year to all our listeners. And today on the show, we will be diving into rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, but interestingly, a slightly different perspective on it. We'll be looking at the connection between our gut microbiome and rheumatoid arthritis. This may strike you as an interesting relationship uh, and we'll be finding more about uh, this thing called the gut joint axis. Some of you may have heard of of the gut-brain axis and uh, sort of the relationship between the gut microbiome and uh, what's happening in the brain. And now we're looking at uh, how that's linked to the gut. And uh, joining me on the show today, consultant, orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Rajesh Singh. How are you, Dr. Rajesh? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Shavik. Um, like everybody else in the New Year, I've eaten a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> So I think this is quite a topical uh, thing to address today. Yes, indeed, to look at, um, you know, how our daily habits, our lifestyle practices are affecting what's happening in our gut and how that could affect our joints. So, I mean, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, sort of the, the very simple understanding I have is that it's an autoimmune condition where the immune system, our own immune system, is attacking healthy cells in the body uh, and particularly targeting um, the joints and it causes inflammation and painful swelling of uh, certain joints. And um, uh, now, sort of like uh, increasing research is suggesting that an imbalance in the gut microbiota may play the role of um, environmental triggers of arthritis. So joining uh, Dr. Rajesh on the show today to dive more into the gut joint axis is Professor Lee Lenhan, a professor in microbiology and molecular biology with the School of Medical and Life Sciences at Sunway University. Professor Lee, thank you so much. You're joining us on Zoom. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, uh, Shaik, and Happy New Year to Dr. Rajes and to all the audience. Thanks for having me here. Thank you. So call us with your questions, 0377332900. I think uh, questions may come up uh, as we go along in the discussion about rheumatoid arthritis. And uh, many of you have come to become familiar with uh, the gut microbiome. And I know a lot of our listeners uh, always have questions about this. So you can call us, 0377332900. You can also WhatsApp. 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Dr. Rajesh, I think maybe I'll get you to sort of set the stage and uh, give us that um, a better explanation, I'm sure, of rheumatoid arthritis. What exactly is it and what do we know, uh, perhaps or not know, about why it develops in some people? Okay, so the first thing I'd like to try and dispel is this word rheumatism. So I hear lots of people coming to my clinic going, doctor, is it rheumatism? Now, rheumatism is a social term. It's not a medical term, right? It's sort of general, it points to sort of somebody who's sort of achy and creaky everywhere. So this is somebody has got rheumatism. The term rheumatoid arthritis is quite specific. Um, it falls under the category of autoimmune disorders. And I think that's really where our focus of our discussion is today. Our focus of our discussion is this idea that you have your body attacking itself. Right. So what are some very common autoimmune disorders? So um, you've seen people who may be dark skin, who have patches of white skin. That's called vitiligo. So vitiligo is sort of a very 
publicly visible autoimmune disorder. It's when your body is attacking its cells that makes the pigments. So certain areas of the body don't have pigment, other areas of the body have pigment. So that's an autoimmune disorder. Um, and that's sort of very readily visible to the public eye. You know, people go, wow, why does that person look so patchy? Well, they look so patchy because they have an autoimmune disorder. The same concept applies for joints as well, where the body identifies certain proteins that are floating around the immune system in the body and it mistakenly ascribes those proteins as being foreign as opposed to the normal bacteria or fungus or whatever that the body would normally attack. Now, as a result of that, um, there's a few mechanisms and I think this idea of pathways and mechanisms is really, really important for today's discussion because it's not A cause B. It's A cause B cause C cause D cause E cause F. F is that inflammation in the joint. Sort of like a cascade. It, exactly right. So the word that we're looking for here is we're really looking for the term cascade. And it's a cascade of events which can be modulated at multiple points. And by the time somebody is given a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, they're really at the end of that cascade. Mm. And what we'll be talking about today with gut dysbiosis and um, other things is probably maybe a B or a C along that cascade, right? So you've already got an initiating factor, you've already got the genetic predisposition, now there's a trigger. And the question then is, you know, how, what are factors which can modulate that trigger? Um, and, you know, what happens in your gut? Certainly a big one. Mm. Uh, and because you started off just wanting to clarify uh, a misconception about a term like rheumatism, mm. uh, RA or rheumatoid arthritis is also different from sort of like maybe the more common form of arthritis that uh, people think about when it comes to painful knees, perhaps that's osteoarthritis, right? Okay, yes and no. So let's sort of look at, let's give an analogy of a fire. So my analogy is autoimmune disorders are like fires. You can have a big fire, you can have a small fire. But the end result of every fire is damage to the joint. So in my practice, I see lots of patients who have damaged joints. And I treat them. Some of them, the inflammation and pain is still there. And so for those patients, the underlying cause for the osteoarthritis was rheumatoid arthritis. So that means that the joint was burnt out. But fundamentally, yes, fundamentally osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, they're not the same. Mm. Arthrit arth arthros just means joint. Mm. Itis means inflammation. So in fact, osteoarthritis is a rubbish term <laughs> because the fundamental problem is not inflammation of the joint. It should be called osteoarthrosis, right? Um, or even still, if you want to use a better term, it's gone arthrosis. Gone arthrosis is Latin for joint. So it's sort of damaged joint. Mm -hmm. And you should save itis, like the arthritis, as opposed to the arthrosis for inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis. All right. Prof Lee, if I can bring you into the conversation um, to explain the gut microbiome. And, um, you know, for anybody not familiar, uh, it might seem like a strange thing to be trying to link to problems with the joints. Uh, perhaps you can explain what is the gut microbiome and how did we come to look to that area um, for to, to understand or to figure out what's happening in that cascade of reactions that, Prof, uh, that Dr. Rajesh talked about? 
Sure. Uh, thanks, Harriet. And thanks to the Dorajes for uh, setting the stage so nicely. So I'd like to just like to um, repeat the key terms that the Dorajes mentioned about rheumatoid arthritis would be um, inflammation. Okay. And uh, it's a, it's a examples of uh, autoimmune disease as well. So uh, in terms of gut microbiome, so uh, there's, there are trillions of, um, bacteria in the lumen of the human intestines. Okay. So gut microbiome refers to a complex and diverse community of microorganisms, uh, including bacteria, viruses, fungi, and uh, other microbes uh, residing in the intestines or the gastrointestinal tract. So that is what we mean by gut microbiome. And we have trillions of them there. So they are living cells. Uh, what they do there is that uh, they, um, as any living cells would do, they communicate with each other, they release uh, molecules, substances. And also at the same time, um, this gut microbiome actually plays a crucial role in uh, regulating and also helping our immune systems and uh, digestions, metabolism, and so on. But for today, uh, for the uh, gut joint axis, i uh, just like to focus on the relationship between gut microbiome and immune system. So it's via a two-way relationship with the immune systems. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, gut microbiomes um, protect humans from lethal infections, so that's how it contributes to the immune systems. And the second point is that it reduces potential for autoimmune and allergic reactions. So this is one of the main relationships that we can relate gut microbiome to rheumatoid arthritis. And the influences on the immune system could occur in general in two ways. One is to provide antigens, which are molecules uh, that stimulate the immune systems. Another one would be to send signals that affect the behavior of immune cells. So I think with that, um, as uh, Dr. Rajesh put it very nicely, it's a cascade of events. So the gut microbiome is somewhere follow, uh, following his lead, is somewhere at the B and the C. So as you can see that if there's a way for us to try to have a more healthy gut, um, then maybe most likely that could reduce the inflammation and then hopefully that could lead to also um, reducing or preventing the severity of uh, rheumatoid arthritis. So um, if I, uh, Dr. Rajesh, if there's anything incorrect that I put it, uh, please correct me. Thanks. No, uh, um, thanks so much, uh, Prof. Lee. I think, I think this idea of a gut microbiome is interesting if you look at different animals, right? So why can't we eat grass? You know, why can't humans eat raw grass? I mean, cows eat grass, bulls eat grass, you know, lots of animals eat grass. They seem to be doing pretty well. Well, why can't humans eat grass? Humans can't eat grass because our digestive tract doesn't have the bacteria necessary to digest the grass. You know, it's sort of, it's interesting if you look at it in a cross-species thing. Um, I mean, I've seen crows eat the worst possible food imaginable, you know, like every rubbish dump's just absolutely, you know, filled with crows. So why is it that crows can eat foods which are rotting, like, you know, frankly putrid rotting foods? It's because the bacteria in their gut, number one, protects them from the toxins that those uh, organisms produce. And number two, has the ability to digest what is it that they ingest. So this idea of the gut microbiome is interesting in the sense that a lot of the new ideas that have come out for me are the fact that your gut actually has a protective role to your immune system 
by keeping you from things which would normally trigger an immune response. And so when you break that sort of barrier, that's when you get a triggered immune response. So it's not to say that your gut, your gut's abnormal. It's to say that the normal protective function of your gut wasn't there. So that's quite an interesting way to look at the problem. We'll come back from a quick break to continue this. Um, the, the question that I have is, um, what is this? I mean, is it uh, an actual uh, physical barrier that we're talking about? Uh, and what has caused that? I think you used the term dysbiosis that uh, sort of uh, changes in the balance or disruption uh, in the balance of those trillions of microbes that are in our gastrointestinal system. Um also, do call us with your questions about the gut joint axis or that connection between our gut microbiome and inflammation in our joints. The number is 0377332900. You can also WhatsApp us at our U mobile number 0187898899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Dr. Rajesh Singh, consultant orthopedic surgeon in the studio with me and over on Zoom, Professor Lee Lern Han, a professor in microbiome biology and molecular biology. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. My guests on the show today are consultant orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Rajesh Singh, and Professor Lee Lernhan, a professor in microbiology and molecular biology. Together, they are shedding more light on the gut joint axis. That's the connection between the gut microbiome, the trillions of uh, microorganisms that uh, are basically in our intestines, and how that's linked to the inflammatory or the immune response that leads to the development of rheumatoid arthritis. So I think uh, going on from the first part of the conversation where we've explained how the gut microbiome could be uh, linked to this cascade of events um, that leads to this autoimmune response, um, the question that I have is, how did that come about? Um, is it, like you said, Dr. Rajesh, at the start of the show, you know, we've been a little bit lax in what we've been eating, not really paying attention. Uh, how? What are the factors that influence this composition of the gut microbiome? Perhaps, uh, Prof. Lee, you could answer that. Sure. Thanks, uh, Selig. So, uh, first of all, as we mentioned just now, uh, it started with gut dysbiosis. So, meaning that um, there's an off-balance in the composition of the gut microbiome. And how did that happen? That could happen um, with um, multiple reasons. Uh, it could be people taking medications. It could be a drastic change in diet. It could be um, people getting sick, uh, having an infection, and so on. So, once you have that dysbiosis, so uh, what could happen is that um, there is a few... Um, Theories, uh, because to be very honest, the exact mechanism of actions is still being explored. That uh, so there, there is a few theories that we think um, why that is um, related. So one of that would be uh, what we know for sure would be the barrier function. So there is a, a gut lining um, uh, that serves a barrier that separates the gut microbiome, the gut bacteria with the rest of the body. So if your, your gut is healthy, so this gut barrier is 
intact and it protects the entry of harmful bacteria and toxins into the bloodstreams. So if there's a dysbiosis, so that could cause what we call a leaky gut. And then you could have uh, fragments of pathogens, bacteria, uh, viruses, and toxins that pass through this gut barrier and go into the bloodstreams. So, and then, uh, so that will cause uh, some major uh, immune responses. And another way would be what we call uh, um, molecular mimicry. That means um, some of these bacteria, they present um, antigen or molecules. They, they present in, in the form of shapes that um, is recognized mistakenly um, uh, that looks, sorry, that looks similar to the protein in the joint as what Dr. Rajesh mentioned just now. So therefore, uh, when these uh, bacteria that present themselves uh, at those joint areas, um, then the, the immune cells, they wanted to uh, get rid of these pathogens at the joint uh, areas. But then at the same time, um, some of these bacteria, uh, they look very alike to some of the protein at the joints. So therefore, uh, causing uh, some, uh, again, as Dr. Rajesh mentioned, uh, some autoimmune uh, response there. So I think... Uh, that's what I can think of at this point. I'll pass it back to Dr. Rajesh to uh, compliment. Thank you. Dr. Rajesh, why, why does this happen to some people and not to others? I mean, uh, we all go through, I think, changes in our gut microbiome due to some very um, general factors that Prof Lee talked about. We all go through periods of sickness, don't eat well sometimes. Uh, why does RE develop in some people and not others? Okay, um, I think the answer is to that is in the genome, right? So, um, and the, the reason why I say that is because we know that autoimmune conditions run in families. Yeah, it's very, there's a very strong hereditary component to it. Um, but that's not the only component to it. So the short answer is don't know yet. Um, the long answer is we know for sure that it runs in families. We know that there's... Um, a tendency for it to cluster um, within certain um, associated genes. And we know that certain genes are definitively associated. So say, for example, HLA-B27. Um, that's a gene that we know is definitively associated with an autoimmune disorder called ankylosing spondylitis. And the characteristic of that is that ankylosing spondylitis will attack not joints, but the place where ligaments and tendons attached to joints. That special name for that structure is called an enthesis. So we know that certain genes, if you have a gene, you're very likely to have an enthesitis. So the relevance of this is really, um, if you look at, for a subject for which there's not such a good understanding, um, what can we do to help people who have inflammatory tendencies or who have sort of frank autoimmune disorders. And, you know, the autoimmune medications are not fun, right? So part of the reason why this sort of topic came to mind is because I see lots and lots and lots of patients in clinic who have burnt out joint disease. And one that means that they've had an inflammatory condition either due to mechanical cause or a biological cause, and they're seeing me at the end of the process where the joint's damaged and painful. Then I do the things that I do to restore the function of the joint, and inflammation keeps coming in. Mm. So the question that I always ask is, well, what can I do to suppress your joint inflammation? You know, I always give them ice. I give them a topical uh, anti-inflammatory. And they ask me the question, what to eat? Mm. 
mm-hmm. you know, hot foods, cold foods. My mother said this, my mother-in-law said that. It becomes very complicated. So, you know, I was trying to look for some practical information for patients who are prone to autoimmune disorders as to what direction should you be looking at. So what does um, research like this tell us? Because a lot of people are going to think, okay, probiotics then. Okay, so the question is a complicated question and I think better answered by um, Prof Lee, who's sort of looking at that subject through a microscope. <laughs> so, Prof, what, 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 that one. Yes, well done. What does your microscope tell you about uh, basically... What kind of hope can you offer for patients with these kinds of joint problems? Okay, uh, thanks, Xiao Ek, and thanks to Dr. Rajesh. Well, uh, everyone knows uh, probiotics, uh, prebiotics are very popular nowadays. And I think, um, to be very honest, uh, in the world of uh, biomedical research, uh, a lot of trials and a lot of research is ongoing still, revolving not just on the gut, uh, joint is on the gut brain and the gut lung axis. But uh, to sum it up, um, I would say that most of the trials, the conclusion is inconclusive. That means um, you can take prebiotic, prebiotic is the food for the probiotic, probiotic is the good bacteria. So you can take this pre and probiotics, but at the end of the day, you need to know why you are taking those probiotics. So what are the specific strains and what has been, uh, what those strains has been tested for? Is there any clinical trials or is there any in-house trials? Um, what are the claims and what is the dosage? And, um, yeah, and what is the viability? I mean, um, yes, you can. Uh, so uh, to sum it up, I think, um, it's quite promising, uh, in terms of dietary intervention to try to solve, uh, not solve, to reduce a lot of problems we have. One of it could be autoimmune diseases. So I think in general, uh, diet rich in fibers, fruits, vegetables that promote a diverse and healthy gut microbiome is always encouraged. Uh, and conversely, a diet that is high in saturated fat and sugars uh, would contribute to dysbiosis. And um, taking pre and probiotics is also encouraged, but uh, do not treat it uh, as a magic bullet, a med- magic medication. That is not the right attitude. And be very careful with antibiotic use, because as we know that especially the broad spectrum antibiotics is very detrimental to the uh, good uh, gut microbiomes. I think I try to sum it up uh, with uh, what we know at the moment. Thank you. Okay, look, I think um, that's very pleasing, Prof. Thank you for that. Um, You know, so the the question is, should I be taking something for my gut? I think the first answer is it depends who's going to nag you the most. And that's my sort of response to patients who ask me for dietary restrictions after surgery. You know, my my only dietary restrictions that I give patients are no alcohol for, you know, between two and three days uh, and no cigarettes and because, or no nicotine containing products because those things are pro-inflammatory. And then for everything else, it's, you know, basically, you know, whoever it is who's going to nag you the most, you just listen to them for a period of time because it keeps them happy, keeps your life easy. Um, The specific circumstance of taking antibiotics, I think is pretty relevant. Um, And women will have this experience. They'll have the experience of having thrush after a course of antibiotics, and that's very uncomfortable for them. And just as there are treatments to remedy the pH of the lower reproductive tract to restore the normal sort of bacterial flora. I think for guts, 
gut probably the same thing applies. So, you know, um, a practical approach to this would be if you've had an illness um, or if you had a course of antibiotics, um, it's probably worthwhile looking at what you can do to help your gut recover um, separately from, you know, other recoveries. Um, but, you know, it shouldn't be a situation where I was with a friend um, and she had this horrible hacking cough. And then she takes out a cigarette and she smokes. And while she's smoking, she brings out a bottle of echinacea and say to, says to me, is this good for my cough? <laughs> and, and I said to her, you know, it'd be better if you stop smoking. She goes, no, 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 I'm not going to stop smoking, but you tell me, is this echinacea good for my cough? So that's not the sort of situation in which you want to be using probiotics, right? You know, once you get everything right, if you go, look, my gut's not quite right, or, you know, I tend to get inflammation, then it's certainly worthwhile. And it's also very individualized. I had this one patient, I remember, who used to come to me after every kanduri, because at kanduri, she couldn't resist beef lung, right? Paru paru. And she says, whenever she has lung, she gets severe joint inflammation. Then she'll come to me. And she said, well, what do I do? I said, well, don't eat paru paru lah. Right? She goes, yeah, but then kanduri how? So, <laughs> but, and the, but the reason why that's relevant again is because lung tissue contains very specific molecules that are not found in tissues, other tissues in general. Oh. So it's very likely that she, there is a protein in lung tissue that crosses her um, sort of gut joint barrier. And as a result, every time she's exposed to that protein, she gets a severe flare of inflammation, right? So there's plenty of evidence that it's there. Um, I just don't think we've stitched it up well enough to give people a prescription beyond sort of a common sense indication and direction. But what about um, things like fecal transplants, Prof Lee? I mean, this whole area is is quite um, sci-fi in that sense. Uh, what else do you think... Um, so if you are not just looking down your microscope, but a bit into a crystal ball, um, what else do you think we can do to, um, and I'm using this term very loosely, fix the dysbiosis? Okay, uh, thanks, Joey, for mentioning about fecal uh, microbiome transplant or FMT in general. So basically, um, FMT is uh, very, very effective uh, when in terms to treating uh, certain, for example, um, uh, bacterial infection like Clostridium uh, difficile infection or certain gastrointestinal uh, conditions uh, like uh, IBD or IBS. But in terms of um, FMT um, for uh, rheumatoid arthritis, I think this is again um, the answer is um, unknown. Um, more work, uh, more works will need to be done. Uh, in general, uh, FMT uh, will show promises uh, in some of those cases I mentioned, but um, there are trials on FMTs uh, looking into uh, mental health uh, and, and other diseases. And again, um, the, the research and the outcome at the moment is inconclusive for some of those. In terms of for rheumatoid arthritis, uh, it's really unsure. But I think, uh, as what Dr. Rajesh uh, mentioned, it would be uh, always good to go back to the basic, um, to look into the nutrition and lifestyle, in which I totally agree. In terms of the future, um, uh, FMT is good, but we need to make sure that it's done in a safe manner to ensure that the donors 
uh, samples is safe to be used and uh, the recipient is also at the level that uh, as a situation that the recipient can receive and in terms of future um, nowadays uh, talking to uh, a lot of uh, colleagues um, gastroenterologists and so on um, the future of this will be strain specific that means, um, as Dr. Rajas mentioned, uh, everyone has their own genetic and actually every bacteria, uh, you, yeah, there's a lot of lactobacillus, bifidobacterium, probiotics, but uh, you need to find out the specific strains that will give you that specific um, benefits that you require or specific effects that you require. So the, 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 the description um, to describe this is that uh, every single strain of bacteria is just like every single one of us. Um, they could be our siblings, they, they could be our cousins, but every one of them, they are different. So the way forward in this uh, research is um, to find the specific strains that gives that specific effects or benefits and then um, try to use them in a very personalized um, way whereby we talk about pre uh, precision medicine, personalized medicine. So, um, and of course, uh, more clinical trials, more biomedical research needs to be done, especially looking into the uh, gut joint axis. Hopefully I answer your question, Shari. Thanks. But that, that sounds quite remarkable, no, Dr. Rajesh? Or is it... Uh, I, I know you, you accuse me of being uh, very easily taken in by clickbait sometimes. <laughs> um, look, it's a common sense approach, right? The common sense approach is that we coexist with bacteria. Over billions of years, we have evolved with all sorts of other organisms. Um, and I mean, it, it applies in plants as well. I, I remember reading this article about Italians who had migrated to the U.S. and were trying to grow tomatoes. And they grew Italian-style tomatoes, but didn't have the flavor of the Italian tomatoes. And the reason is because they brought the plants with them, not the seed. Sorry, not, not the, they brought the seed with them, not the plant with the soil, because there were import restrictions on bringing in soil. So the same seed grown in different soil gives you a different flavored fruit, right? It's the exact same genetic material, but the environment you expose it to is different. Mm. So... I think there's a lot of common sense involved. And, you know, when sort of science meets common sense, it's, you know, the miraculous discovery. But, you know, really just think about it in sort of a broad common sense term. Um, while we are not quite what we eat, it cannot be that what we eat doesn't form us, mm. right? So, and I think that that's probably a pretty sort of relevant message um, in terms of trying to consider, you know, what do I do to help my health in general? Um, it's what watch what you eat. We'll come back after a quick break and address a couple of questions that may or may not be directly related to this, um, but you can keep them coming in. WhatsApp us at 018789899 or call us at 0377332900. Dr. Rajesh Singh, consultant orthopedic surgeon, and Professor Lee Lernhan, professor in microbiology and molecular biology, in uh, on the show with me today to discuss rheumatoid arthritis. We'll be right back on Health and Living BFM. 
Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik, and my guests, Dr. Rajesh Singh, consultant orthopedic surgeon, and Professor Lee Lernhan, a professor in microbiology and molecular biology. We've been discussing the connection between the gut microbiome when the um, trillions of uh, microbiota, um, the microorganisms in the microbiome, become disrupted. Uh, how that could lead to an inflammatory response and affect the joints. Speaking of joints, we have a question here from a listener who's asking about um, whole body stiffness and muscle pain every morning. Uh, Our listener says um, they can only get out of bed after about one to two hours after waking up, uh, almost like a warming up uh, before the body can start moving. My movement is very similar to that of a very old person. Is this a form of an autoimmune condition? Okay, so I think the answer is absolutely. You really need to see um, a doctor because the symptoms that you describe very much um, are consistent with an autoimmune disorder. And so the, page, the, cl- the diagnostic criteria for autoimmune disorders are revised regularly. But I prefer to look at it from a basic science perspective. What's the mechanism? Mechanism is inflammation. What is inflamed? If you have tendons, fascia, lining of joints inflamed, then you'll have a great deal of stiffness after a period of immobility. So um, the short answer to your question is you need to see a healthcare physician, a healthcare practitioner, in this case probably a general practitioner, um, complain of those symptoms and get an appropriate test and screening done. Another question um, from a separate listener. Three of my fingers became patchy three months back after second-degree burns um, related to um, a spilling of cooking oil on the hands. How can I modulate my gut microbiome to enhance regeneration of my immune system so that pigmentation on my fingers will normalize? Okay, so very, very relevant question. Same symptoms, different system. So that's why the basic science here is really important. So the first very important piece of advice is to make sure that you apply sunscreen and keep your hands from sun exposure. Because just like we have sort of a gut uh, barrier, um, we also have a skin barrier. And so in your situation, your skin barrier has been breached. And so because your skin barrier has been breached, the immune function, again, skin has immune function, the immune function of the skin is going to be altered. So the things that, I mean, second degree burns, depending on the technical definition of the burn, how much thickness of skin was lost and if there's scarring. So if you tell me that there's no scarring, that means that there's potential for for those uh, melanocyte or pigment cells to regenerate completely. Um, If there's scarring, then basically there isn't because the definition of scarring is replacement of native tissue with scar or with sort of non-native tissue. And, you know, fibroblasts which form non-native skin don't have the capacity to generate melanin. Mm. So in this instance, the correct thing to do is not to focus on your gut, but the correct thing to do is to focus on your skin and appropriate gloves, appropriate cover, appropriate skin moisturizer, uh, appropriate ex- uh, appropriate uh, avoidance of exposure to chemicals, right? So if you work in an environment where your hands are exposed to chemicals, um, this will actually result in difficulty in healing because that immune function of the skin is compromised. So you see immune function of gut, immune function of skin, because embryologically, um, that means from the sort of first cells, they come from the same soft tissue and that soft tissue has immune function. You know, um, 
before the break, we were talking quite a lot about um, things like um, choice of diet, um, what you include or exclude in your daily diet. Uh, and we even went into things like um, fecal or poop transplants. Um, what about physical activity? Can physical activity and exercise alter your gut microbiome? I know what I think. I'd be interested to see what Prof Lee thinks. Prof Lee, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. So uh, exercise has been um, reported that um, um, especially uh, aerobic exercise like jogging, cycling are very good uh, to, to help to have a better gut health and therefore coming back to have a better immune system. So uh, the keywords in terms of exercise would be um, consistency and, uh, and, and intensity, appropriate intensity, not too much, not too less. And, uh, and consistency in terms of trying to maintain that um, rather than, uh, uh, you know, um, a very uh, uh, seldom but very uh, highly intense exercise mode. Um, so I think exercise, yes, has been proven to help uh, to have anti-inflammatory effects and help to um, have a, pro promote a better gut health as well. Thanks. Motion is the lotion. That's right. Motion. Which is, which is kind of, yeah, exactly motion. Right? So let's not go there. <laughs> it's a different kind of motion. Different kind of motion, and that is not the lotion. Um, but Dr. Rajesh, as a clinician, yes. I, and earlier you said when you see your patients with this condition, how distressing it is in terms of um, the, the impact of the medications they have to take, and then the inflammation just keeps coming back, right? But what do you take away from sort of the direction of this research? There's still a lot of don't know yet. Um, doesn't seem to be anything really prescriptive that you can tell your patients. Um, prescriptive, no, but it's probably worthwhile for me to point them in a lifestyle um, explore kind of direction. You know, so I'd say to them, look, you know, have you tried exercise? They say yes, but the problem is when I exercise, then my joints get inflamed. I've got limited exercise capacity or, you know, the joints already damaged. I load it somewhere, it gets more damaged. Then I go on to things like hydrotherapy. They go, yeah, but, you know, where am I going to access a swimming pool? Practical. Um, you know, then I, so I talk to them. So when I talk to them about lifestyle, usually my conversations center around physical activity just because of who I am and what I do. Um, but I have started recently sort of talking about the diet as well. You know, just what I really want to move, what I really want to try and get the conversation to move away from is this idea of what should I eat, right? To this idea of, you know, how do I look after my gut? Um, you know, what's what, what forms um, a healthy sort of gut kind of situ situation because, you know, you can exercise your bicep and you can, you know, see my biceps bigger. Um, but, you know, you can't sort of really exercise your gut and then, you know, prove that your gut's better. Well, you can, you know. So the, the stools that you pass are an indicator of the health of your gut. Mm. And so, you know, there are stool charts, there's stool colors, there's stool forms, there's frequency, hardness, moisture content, all that, right? So, you know, are you passing pellets? Are you passing logs? Are you passing bricks? Um, you know, all those things are probably information that, you know, people can look at um, to look at, well, you know, how do I work out how my gut's functioning? Um, it's based on what goes in how and what comes out, but also in between, you know, how does it feel as it goes through? Um, Profly, and, 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 and any thoughts on the poop chart? Uh, in terms of the poop, um, as a 
molecular biologists um, usually the the best way would be to get the samples and then run a molecular profiling, and then from there we can establish the baseline. Actually, Total Rajesh is very very cheap nowadays. Uh, it just costs uh, less than three hundred ringgit to to run the whole sequencing. You get to know all the bacteria inside that poop. So we, uh, we're gonna have a conversation after this, Prof. But I'm serious because I have my patients who are just stuck. Right, you know, I have a rheumatologist who comes in every couple of weeks, and she sees all of them, and I'd love to be able to say, look, you know, you've got this particular pattern of puposis that's co- <laughs> yeah. that's co- that's causing your gut dysbiosis, and maybe if you change it, your life will change. You know, at three hundred ringgit, it's not expensive. Mm. Um, you know, I was thinking, like, I'm still stuck in like you know the sort of three four thousand USD. Uh, considering everything they've gone through. Yeah, exactly. You know, considering everything they've gone through, considering how much more they'll spend on consultations, you know, and treatments which may or may not work and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sounds like a relatively um, relevant, sounds like a relatively relevant clinical pathway. Mm. Yeah. And, and if I may to add, because once they do the profiling, they know... Um, what is lacking, what kind of bad bacteria is too much, what kind of good bacteria is too little, then they can go for what kind of diet, what kind of pre-probiotics, then that would be a very scientific and I will say that a medical profound way forward rather than, you know, just listen from uh, whoever that next them the most. So I think um, actually it's very, the technology is very common in this country and the region. So, um, and and usually a diet change from our clinical trials in um, giving probiotics to multi-depressed patient, um, within four weeks, we start to see clinical improvement plus the improvement in their gut microbiome profile through the sequencing. So we can prove it, it's science. And then that would also add into their confidence that we are doing something right for them and not guessing. Thanks, Dr. Rajesh. And so to wrap up properly, um, what next? Where can this research take us next? What What else do you think we can achieve in terms of um, you know, uh, treating uh, rheumatoid arthritis better? I think the first thing forward is to have more discussion and conversation between uh, consultants, uh, Dr. Rajesh, like myself, uh, biomedical researchers. That's a good way to start. We need more um, working together between uh, clinicals and um, biomedical research and forming more translational research. In terms of this uh, area, I would say that there are more research coming out to pinpoint um, what kind of bad uh, bacteria is having more correlation in causing rheumatoid arthritis. Um, so we do know a bit more in that. So the next step is how to find a best way to reduce these bad, bad players in the gut. And then hopefully we also reduce the severity of the rheumatoid arthritis. Dr. Rajesh, am I making any sense? No, entirely, entirely. And you know, this is, this is really where um, practice should be. You know, we should be having more conversations between the basic scientists and the clinicians. You know, I'm look. I've I've got. I did a year's worth of immunohistochemistry, right? So just to tell you, so I sat in a lab for a year, looked down microscopes. Yeah, I know, um, which is not very common for an orthopedic surgeon. My point, though, is that the challenge so far in my career has been the technology barrier. Right, I would say maybe in the last, I don't know, decade, maybe less than a decade, 
is where the tools have become so readily available um, that you can make practical use. Because, I mean, imagine if you said to me, Dr. Rajesh, I have this thing that I can offer, right? But the gene test, I mean, the poop test is $3,000, right? That's, that's the point at which I left research. So when I left, when I left uh, you know, I had, I had a full scholarship for a PhD uh, following my surgical um, and my surgical training. But I left that pathway because, you know, 20 years ago, those were the numbers we were looking at. And it just it was just prohibitively expensive and there was not enough science to it. There was, you know, there was some guesswork, there was some tri-C, um, but the basic scientists weren't willing to subject themselves to clinical rigor. And the clinicians weren't willing to talk to basic scientists because it was just too far to impact my next patient. But, you know, from what you've told me now, you know, I go to clinic tomorrow and I could probably help somebody. So I agree with you entirely. You know, this is, this is where we should be. The, clinic, the basic scientists should give the clinician tools and the clinician should understand what science can do, no matter how bad the patient wants it. If it can't be done, it can't be done. Any final message, Dr. Rajesh? Uh, good question. Um, we are what we eat, but we are more than what we eat. Mm. I've got one for you. Fire away. Motion for your motion. Oh! <laughs> ouch, 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 ouch. Thank you so much, Dr. Rajesh Singh, consultant orthopedic surgeon, and Professor Lee Lenhan, professor in microbiology and molecular biology. This has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.